Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Come on back and have a seat. Uh, if you're like me and you didn't grow up in, in circles like this, uh, you may not know what particularization means. Uh, Kimberly used the term, Ron Young used it last week. And basically what it means is when we uh, got, God by his grace has made us a church that's able to plant other churches. And so we send people out to Appleton, to the east side of Green Bay. And when church plants start, uh, they're not ready to have their own elders. And so there are elders from various churches that kind of make up the leadership of that church. But then a church comes to particularization when they're able to trade and raise up elders from within the church and become more of an independent church. And so that's what's happening. That's what we're celebrating uh, uh, coming up here with All Saints Church uh, is that they will be ordaining and installing their own elders and the governing for that that church will be from within that church body. So we praise God for that. I want to tell you a story about uh, a plan I had. So it was, um, it was probably about a month ago on a Thursday, which is my, my day off, my family day. And I went to Menards early in the morning and I was looking at different uh, posts that we could potentially use for our disc golf course here. And so I went and looked at the different options, and then I went to the YMCA at noon to play basketball, as I like to do on my day off. And while I was playing basketball, I figured out, okay, I know we want these posts, and we want this paint, and this primer. And, and so I, I, I formulated a plan uh, that after I, I played basketball, I was quickly going to go to Menards, and I was going to pick up the paint and the brushes and the posts, and then get home and enjoy the rest of my day. That was that was my plan. And so I get to Menards and I, I walk briskly back to the paint department. I get out the primer and the paint and ask them to shake it up. And I grab my brushes. When they're done, I head to the building's material desk, which is where you order the posts. And so I go there and I am the first person in line. So there's two, two workers and two people helping those two workers. And I think, no big deal. I'm next. It's still going to be quick. Uh, my order's going to take about 30 seconds. No big deal. Well, after about Five minutes go by, um, I start shuffling my feet a little bit, you know, just to let them know that somebody is there and is waiting, right? Uh, and, then, and then, you know, about, about 10 minutes go by, and I, I kind of walk up and I lean on the desk next to them uh, just to make sure they know there is somebody uh, who is waiting, right? 15 minutes go by, and I develop a cough, right? <coughs> Just to make sure they know somebody is there and is waiting and has things to do with their life. And so I am getting frustrated on the inside, and I start preaching to myself a sermon about how these people are image bearers of God, and I should not be cursing them in my heart. 
And then I think, you know, I'm a pastor in this community. I should probably be on my best behavior. And so I sit there and I wait patient. Well, not so patiently. I'm, I'm raging on the inside. Like the weather's not that important, people. Like, come on. Like I got stuff to do. I don't know if you've ever felt that frustration when things don't go to plan, but there I am. I'm, just, I'm frustrated. 30 seconds, I get my, my slip. I go to the register. And again, I am reminded that my timeline is not everybody else's timeline. And so now when you look at the, the posts out there, you can, you can designate them as pillars of your pastor's growth and patience, okay? But I, I don't know if you've ever felt that. I'm sure you have, where you have a plan, you have a schedule, and things don't go the way you had hope, and you get frustrated and angry, maybe even lash out. I mean, wasn't that the story of 2020? <laughs> Didn't you have a vacation planned or, or certain academic uh, things you were hoping to do or athletic things or whatever it might be, and things did not go according to your plan. The reason why we get frustrated in those times is because we are victims of our own pagan planning. By that, I mean we are planning without a thought of God. James today is going to expose our propensity towards pagan planning. And then he is going to show us the solution to this pagan planning in a way that is both glorifying to God, but also enjoyable to us as we live out our life and plan the way to live our life. And so if you would please open up to James chapter 4. We will be in verses 13 through 17 today. It's page 1012 in the Red Bible. Again, if you don't have one, feel free to grab one from the back. If you don't own one, keep that as a gift from Jacob's Well Church. The book of James is so extraordinary practical. Uh, it started out by telling us about trials and how we should interpret trials as an instrument of God to grow us and mature us in the faith. Uh, it has talked about how we should not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Helped us to discern between a profession of saving faith and a possession of saving faith. It has taught us about how our words are disproportionately powerful to bring blessing and curses to people. Uh, over the past two weeks, we've talked about why we fight and how a meekness of godly wisdom and a posture of humility can bring peace. And then today, God, through the pastor James, wants to talk to us about our schedule. He wants to talk about how we plan things out. It's so, so practical. And so let's look together. James chapter 4, verse 13 through 17. This is God's word. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Let's pray. 
Lord God, we confess that we often make plans without consulting you, without a thought of you, God. And so, Lord, we confess that today, and we pray, Lord God, that you would help humble us and make us mindful that you are in charge of all things, that your plan is greater than our plan, and that we would come to plan things out in a way that is submissive to you and glorifying to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today and you would consider yourself a Christian, if you believe that there is a God, that he is good and that he is in control, if you believe that Jesus is alive, how should that affect the way you plan your afternoon? How should it affect the way you plan your week, next month, next year? How should it affect the way you plan for college or for a family or business? How does it affect the way you should plan for retirement? It's what Pastor James is going to teach us today. How should we as followers of Jesus plan? Okay. The first thing we see here is that we should plan to plan humility, humbly. Excuse me. We should plan to plan humbly. Ron Young preached last week and he said that, that if, 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 if the if the church was, was a person, James would be using their middle name because they were kind of in trouble and he was rebuking them a little bit. And so in verse 13, this rebuke continues and James says to them, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Uh, this is what businessmen and businesswomen do. They make plans to make a profit. And there's nothing wrong with that. But they make plans. So maybe a, a modern-day scenario would be someone who says, you know, we're going to establish a branch of this company in Madison. And so I'm going to travel there during the week and come home on weekends. And I'm going to do this for a year. And then I'll be home. And so this is kind of what James is saying. He's laying out this scenario. And the question is, why is this bad? Like, why is this a bad thing? Is it wrong for us to make plans? I think some Christians might take this verse and say, look, you shouldn't make any plans at all because you're not leaving room for the Holy Spirit to do its work and to guide and direct you, so we shouldn't make plans. But when we look at other wisdom literature, James's wisdom literature, if we look at the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, it tells us something very different. Proverbs 21.5 says, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. But everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. So saying, if you plan diligently, there will be abundance. This is a principle, right? But if you are hasty and you don't plan, you will be led to poverty. Proverbs 24, 27 says, prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field. And after that, build your house, right? So you, you plan, you prepare, you get the materials, and then you go and build. Proverbs 15, 12 says, without counsel, plans fail. And so you, as you make plans, you should get advisors and, and friends to, to speak into those plans. It says, but with many advisors, they succeed. Even Jesus says, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. And so here we see in the book of Proverbs and even Jesus himself endorsing and encouraging us to plan. And so again, we return to the question, what is wrong with this plan in verse 13? Look with it again. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. What is wrong with this plan 
is not what is in the plan. It's what is not in the plan. <laughs> or, or, or to say it more clearly, it's who is not in the plan. Skip down just a few verses to verse 15. He says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. You see, the problem with the man's plans in verse 13, and in many of our plans, is that it is pagan planning. It is planning with any, without any thought of the Lord's plans and the Lord's will. And as we'll find out later, such planning without God is, is arrogant and, and even evil. Okay, so, so this is James exhorting us, uh, exhorting us to, to, in humility, submit our plans before the Lord. Now, earlier in this chapter, James, again, is exhorting us towards humility. Verse 6, he said, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Verse 10, he says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. And so humility is an instrumental characteristic to routinely submitting our plans before the Lord. So let me give you a definition of humility that I think will help us understand that. And you'll see how it plays in today's passage. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself, okay? Humility is an accurate understanding of who you are in relationship to God. Humility is an accurate understanding of who you are in relationship to God. To God, or it could be in relationship to someone else. So let me give you an example of where I where I get humbled. Uh, as I mentioned, I like to go play basketball at the YMCA. Sometimes when I go, it's junior high students and senior citizens and me. And in those occasions, I feel like a pretty good basketball player, right? Like I'm like I should have I should have made the team in high school. I could have even played in college. But then there are days where I go and like this 23-year-old will come in who just got out of college, who played basketball in college, and they're five inches taller than me, and they're shooting 50% from half court. And I am humbled immediately because I'm having an accurate understanding of my abilities compared to someone who played college basketball. I am humbled. In the same way, what James is doing in this passage is he is going to give you an accurate understanding of your relationship to God in order to humble you so that you would trust God with your plans. So look with me again. Verse 13, we have the pagan planning. Uh, He says, I'm going to do this and that and not mentions God at all. But then the accurate assessment of who we are starts. Verse 14, he says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. So I have on my Google Calendar what my plan is for tomorrow. I praise God for Google Calendar. It is fantastic. But, but I will wake up. I will drink coffee. I will eat breakfast. I'll do a devotional time. And then I will start working on my sermon around 1045. I will check email. 1145, I have lunch with Pastor Chad. 1 o'clock, we have staff meeting. Uh, 2.30, I have a meeting to talk about summer studies with the staff. After that, I will probably work on the sermon some more for next Sunday. And then I will go home and hopefully paint my deck. That's my plan for tomorrow. But all of that could be changed with a single text message, with a single phone call. All of that could could change with eating a little bit of raw chicken, right? I mean, like, it could all change. And James is saying, listen, you are planning out the future with such certainty, but you don't even know what tomorrow will hold. You can make plans, but you don't know for sure. And so what James is communicating to us is he's saying, listen, 
you are finite. You are limited in your knowledge and your understanding. But God is omniscient. God knows all things. He knows the past, he knows the present, and he knows the future. If you guys have been following the saga of the Green Bay quarterback, uh, you know the famous phrase that he's been saying that life is a wonderful mystery, right? Like doesn't know what the future is going to hold. And he's right. It is a wonderful mystery to us, but not to God. Nothing catches God off guard. And so James is exhorting us in humility, understand that we are finite and God is eternal that we should trust him, that God knows all things. James continues in verse 14, he says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. I don't know if you've ever gotten up early and seen kind of the mist over a lake or over a field, but as soon as the sun rises and it warms up, the mist disappears. And James says, this is your life in comparison to God. Your life on this world is but a vapor. It is eternal going forward. It's not eternal going backward, but God is eternal. God always has been and always will be. And because we are finite, because we are limited, because we are temporary and God is eternal, in humility we must submit our plans to the eternal God who knows the story of the world. James continues, verse 15, he says, Instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will Live And so if you put two feet on the floor this morning, which I'm assuming you did because you are here, the only reason that happened was because it was the will of God. It was the will of God that you should be alive right at this moment. It is the mercy and grace of God. Whether you are a Christian or not a Christian, it is God's will that you are alive at this moment and even in this room to hear his word. He continues, said, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. I love the word choice here. He's basically saying, whatever you do, whatever you do, it is under the will of God himself. Again, Proverbs speaks of this. It says, the heart of man plans his ways. It's not a bad thing. It's true. We plan our ways. But the Lord establishes his steps Proverbs 19, 21, many are the plans of, in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. And so why should we humble ourselves under the lordship of God in our planning? Well, it's simply because God is God and we are not. Because God is all-knowing and we know just a, a hair over nothing. Because, because we are temporary and God is eternal. Because God is all powerful. He keeps us alive. And we are more or less powerless whether we live or die. And so practically, what does this look like? What does it look like for us to humbly submit our plans to the Lord? Well, Paul gives us these four words that are so helpful and so insightful. It is simply these four words, if the Lord wills. As we make plans, if the Lord wills. Now, we could attach this verbally before any plan that we make. That's great to do. It's a great reminder. But what is more importantly, that in our heart, in our soul, as we make these plans, we are submitting them before the Lord and saying, Lord, this is my plan. If it is your will, if you will, this is the plan. The Apostle Paul is a great example of this. In Acts 18, the Jews ask him to come back uh, to Ephesus to continue to teach. And he says, I will return to you. That's his plan. But then he says, if God 
wills. And so if God is real, if he's all-knowing, all-powerful, eternal, how should we plan? We should plan humbly before the Lord. Always saying in our hearts and sometimes with our mouths, if the Lord will. Secondly, so plan to plan humbly. Secondly, plan to boast correctly. Verse 16 says, as it is you boast in or glory in or rejoice in your arrogance, okay, self-confidence. And then he says, all such boasting is evil. When we leave God out of the planning process, either intentionally or unintentionally, it's actually an act of arrogance, of saying, I got this. I am my own self-sovereign. I can plan out my life. I can do what I want. And I got this. And I have no need for God. And James says this is arrogant. And it's evil. I mean, imagine if, if Jesus was leading his disciples to Galilee and one of the disciples said, no, Jesus, we're going to go this direction to this other city. It would be arrogant of them to do it because they believe Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of God. And that's what we do when we say, Lord, we are going to go our own direction. We are not mindful of you as we make our plans. The other part of this is, is after the fact. And so when we, when we make plans... And, and things go well, right? Things are fruitful, or as we might think of them as being successful or, or going well, or good things happen. Uh, there is a propensity of us to take credit for whatever goes well. And we boast in our planning and our execution and in our accomplishments. And again, James says this is evil. Pastor Matt Chandler put it this way. I love this quote. Uh, it's going to be on our Facebook page if you want to look at it later. But this is what he says in thinking about how we take credit for the works of God. He says, if you're always the hero and every success is simply because of your hard work, you are arrogant. I didn't put probably before that or possibly before that. I'm telling you, if you wear the cape and everyone should just be grateful for super you, then you are arrogant and pompous. And I feel sorry for the people in your life. And then hear this. He goes, no, I just love this. No way there's vitality, energy in life when you're the life-sucking black hole of praise that you are. No one is king. No one. I love this. I shared this quote with Angie, our administrative assistant, and she said, do you have anyone in mind with this quote? And I'm like, me, like I'm that guy, right? Like, like I don't know, maybe I'm the only one, but, but I, I'm pretty sure that I'm right and everybody else is wrong, right? Like, like I'm pretty sure everyone should be a little bit more thankful for me than they are. Am I the only one? If I am, this is very awkward, but but, but like, like, this is how we are. We think that we are God's gift to everybody and that everyone should be so overwhelmingly thankful for us, right? But what James is reminding us of here is that whatever goes well in our life, whatever good gift we have is from God above. Now you might say, well, you know, Pastor Dan, I made these plans and I worked really hard and I accomplished these things I set out to do. And so things are going very well for me. And so why can't I take credit for those things? But here's the question, who gave you life? <laughs> who gave you breath? 
Who gave you a drive to pursue those things? Who gave you the intellect to understand the concepts that you learned in, in, in high school and in college? Who, who gave you the wisdom and insight to, 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 to make business decisions that help develop that business, right? Like it's good to, to encourage people and to, and to pat them on the back for hard work and say, well done. But ultimately below all of that is God. God gets the credit for everything because God is the giver of every good and perfect gift, including your talents, including your knowledge, including your drive. And so we have to make sure we boast correctly by boasting in the Lord. Now, I usually get this wrong, um, but, but, but I want to share about a time where it actually went okay. Uh, when I was on vacation, um, I, I was so excited to put my boat into the water. And so Corbin and I went down to the, uh, the, the, the landing and we put the boat in and Corbin held the rope for the boat so it wouldn't float away. And I went and parked my truck with the trailer in the parking lot and I came back down and I had just charged up the batteries. Everything was set to go. I was so excited to get out on the water and I, and I go and I, I go to start the boat and it won't start. Uh, and I don't know why it won't start. The batteries don't seem like they're working very well. Find out that they're older batteries. And so I lift up the, the, the hood to the compartment to the engine. And as I'm looking around, which is funny because I know nothing about engines, right? Like I'm, I'm just seeing if there's, you know, like a hairdryer stuck in there or something. I, I really don't know. But it's like maybe there's something. I don't know. So I, I lift it up to look at the engine, uh, which is comical. But, uh, but, but I hear like this, this stream of water coming into my boat. And I'm not, I'm not a mechanic, uh, but I'm pretty sure water coming into the boat is not a good thing. And so I tell Corbin, I'm like, hey, man, I think we're, we're done for the day. Uh, we got to go, and I got to take this somewhere. And so I take it to a place uh, to, to fix the boat, and I go in, and I show them the video of the water coming in, and I tell them what I think's going on. And so, so the, the, the mechanic comes out with me uh, to look over the boat, and what he finds is there's billows on the back of the boat. Uh, this is one of them. It's kind of hard to see, but, but you see that rubber thing, kind of accordion, and he reaches up and he sticks his finger in it and he goes, oh, yep, yeah, nope, here it is. Here's the hole. This is why water was coming in your boat. And then, he, and then he gets up and he looks at me and he goes, I can't believe you didn't sink the boat. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, usually when this happens, the boat sinks. And I paused for a minute and, and all I could think was, and I said to him, I go, praise God. I mean, it wasn't my plan that the boat wouldn't start. <laughs> right? It was, it was my plan that we would be out in the middle of the bay, right? And if, if it was my plan, the boat would be at the bottom of the bay right now. But it was God's plan that the boat would not start, that we would be safe. And so it's his grace and mercy to do those things. And so in that moment, there is the only thing I could say is praise be to God. See, we have an opportunity to brag about God. We have a great God that we can brag about all the time. Romans 5, 2 through 3 says this. It says, through him we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand, and we rejoice and literally boast, and it's the same word, the hope of the glory of God. In the 1 Corinthians 1, some of you may be familiar with this verse. He says, and because of him, that's God, you are in Christ Jesus, because of him, not because of you, because of him. You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written let the one who boasts boast in the lord friends we have a lot to boast about in god 
Because as we go throughout creation this summer and see the beauty of God's creation, there is a great opportunity, first and foremost, in our hearts, but then with our neighbor to boast about the handiwork of God. As things are accomplished in our life, as good things come, as, as, as we have successes, there are opportunities to boast first and foremost in our own heart, but then to those around us about the good gifts of God to bring us to this place. We even have opportunities to boast to coworkers and family members and boat technicians. And so how should we make plans? We'll plan to plan humbly, knowing that God is big and we are small. But also plan to boast correctly. Boast in the Lord, who is the giver of every good and perfect gift. Finally, plan to do rightly. Verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. How do we know the right thing to do? Well, our world will often tell us the right thing to do is, is just to follow your heart, right? If I followed my heart, uh, the right thing to do would be eat chicken wings every single night, right? That's probably not the right thing to do. How do we know what the right thing to do is? The right thing to do, we know from the scriptures. Remember, God is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. And by his grace, he has told us through his word what the right thing to do is. Now, James is writing to a Jewish Christian audience who are scattered throughout the region. And so they are familiar with the Old Testament, the ways of God, the Ten Commandments of God. They know the right things to do. And he says, if you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, you are in sin. This, this is, uh, theologians use, use big words sometimes. So they talk about sins of commission and sins of omission. Sins of commission are when you do the things that God forbids, right? So, so God says, you know, do not slander. If you slander, uh, that's a sin of commission. You are disobeying a command of God. That's usually what we confess. But this, uh, James is addressing sins of omission. When we know the right things we should do and we don't do them. And so our sin is much bigger than we might think because our sin is not only the things that we do, it's also the things that we don't do that we should do. And James is saying, listen, if you know the right thing and you're not doing those things, you are in sin. Now, what does this have to do with planning? Well, I will tell you that when I have a plan and I have a death grip on it, I don't want to let anything come in way with that plan, with my schedule of the things I want to do. And if there is a right thing to do, I will, I will, I will somehow justify not doing that thing in order to stick to my schedule as I worship the God of productivity. I'll give you examples. So we went on a mission trip a few years ago, and, and at the mission trip, we were going to go to this home of some impoverished people and fix some things up. Um, and, and, and so I, we got our materials together. We were all ready to go. I was excited to, to fix up their house and, you know, get it done, check the box, and come home and pat myself on the back and feel good about it, right? Well, as we get ready to go to fix up the house, uh, the, the mission coordinator down there says, oh, by the way, uh, the project is not that important. What's more important is that you hang out with the people, that you talk to the people, that you love the people. I mean, from my perspective, I didn't even care if the people were there. I mean, I just was going there to fix their house, right? 
And maybe this is a guy thing. I don't know. But, but like I was just, I was go and going to fix. And I'm so thankful that they reminded me that what was most important was not my productivity to fix up that house. But it was to love that person, to share the love of Jesus with that person. That was the right thing to do. And I needed someone to remind me to do that. And so if we are approaching our agenda with humility, acknowledging that it is the Lord's will, it loosens our grip on our schedule, doesn't it? And it allows us to do the right thing even when it is not convenient or expedient. And we see this, of course, in the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know why this keeps coming uh, to the sermons, but, but we talked about it. But, but three times in the garden, Jesus prays. And he says, my father, if it be possible, let this cup, the cup of God's wrath for sin, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, he says, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus did not want to endure the wrath of God. No sane human being would want to. And yet Jesus did the will of God, even though it was painful, even though it was not expedient or convenient or easy, but because it was the right thing to do, because it was the will of God for his life, to die on the cross for our sins and rise to give us newness of life. Let me end with this. Um, As I was meditating on these verses. When I'm on vacation, I get to meditate on them for like two weeks, which is always really convicting. And, uh, and I was planning out our summer schedule. Uh, and I use a spreadsheet. I love spreadsheets because you can see everything at a glance. And so I have this spreadsheet of the Jackson summer. And there's a column for every child and for Trish and for me and for family plans. There's actually a column for contingency plans, uh, just in case things go awry. Uh, This spreadsheet is 16 columns wide and 114 rows long. It is a thing of beauty, okay? If the Lord wills. If the Lord wills, we will go here or there and do this or that. If the Lord wills, we will live or we will die and be with him. If the Lord wills, we will be successful and boast in his name. If the Lord wills, we will go off script and off schedule to minister to those whom he has put in our path. Christian, as we make plans, we must plan to plan humbly, knowing that God is big and we are small. We must plan to boast correctly and boast in the Lord. We must plan to do rightly, not to hold our plans so tight that we cannot do what the Lord calls us to do. When you plan, plan for God. Plan for God to take you on a great adventure. Plan on God to do in you and through you more than you had expected and plan for God to be the hero of your schedule. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, again, we need your help, Lord. We need your help to humble ourselves, to realize uh, that we are not the center of the universe, that, that we need you to speak into our scheduling, that you, we need you to humble our hearts to submit to your plans when they are different than our plans, God. And so, Lord, we pray that you would extend that grace to us. In Jesus' name, amen.